Welcome to Interviews with Innocence, a podcast about spirituality, consciousness, and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world. I believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers. After all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. I just love having animal communicators on my show. We have a very special one. Well, they are all special, a very special one on today. And it is, her name is Rami Hewler from Australia. And she calls herself the Holistic Animal Health Coach. Rami is passionate about animal welfare and is driven to change the perceptions of how we can communicate with them so they can be more consciously looked after. Most people that have animals in their care, while they very connected to them, are only seeing part of their health and the well-being picture. Mostly, though, what they observe, what they think, and the things they may already know. But when you communicate from a higher perspective and you have a conversation with them, you're able to see the whole picture. That means you're able to support them in a way they need not in a way we think they need, as you see the truth behind behaviors, psychological and physical problems. She's worked globally, but lives on the East Coast of Australia as an animal communicator, missing animals investigator, medical intuitive, and animal energy healer. She runs online and in-person courses in animal communication, and she's been on many TV shows and hosting TV shows, and done a lot, and you will be able to go in and read the rest of her bio. But I just want to jump in and get started right away with with asking you some questions, Romy. So thank you so much for coming to the program. Oh, thank you for having me, Marla. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes. So how did you begin this this work with communicating with animals? Excellent question. <laughs> I I started back when I was about two years old um, and then lost it as we do. Uh, We lose some of these intuitive abilities when we head to school and we learn maths and spelling. Um, So it was about 40 uh, that I started to uh, reconnect with that part of myself. Um, And I guess my husband, the, the beginnings of it, my husband had a terminal cancer diagnosis and He's also what we kind of joke around and call him, you know, the Dalai Lama. He's Mm -hmm. got that very spiritual aspect of himself as well. And so I had heard about uh, animal communication as Facebook does. It drops things on your feed at the right time. And I thought while he was at home healing that he would uh, be a great person to figure out what was wrong with our dog who had anxiety. And so I... I downloaded every Google article I could find. I bought DVDs. I bought a book at one of my local bookshops around animal communication and gave them all to him and said, go and sort out Kenny. 
read this. It'll be, you'll be great at it. <laughs> and um, so he said, oh, that's really interesting. You read it and then let me know what to do. <laughs> and so, of course, it was for me. It wasn't for him at all. And I devoured it. I, just, I was manic trying to get through and learn more. And I ended up finding myself a mentor. And um, and she sort of showed me what I, what I was actually already doing. I just didn't know that I was doing it, and um, and I started pretty much straight away. So that was about ten years ago now, or a little bit longer, and I haven't looked back. So uh, you know, it sort of went from, and I had a lot of animals talking to me through the night, leading up to this finding a mentor. You know that time where spirit world talks to you? It was around 2 o'clock in the morning. I would get woken up with this particular goose that would be right in my face and then all of these animals behind this goose and they'd all be like, you know, help us, help us. And it's like, I don't know what you mean. And so, um, you know, it kind of went on like that. Then I had my mentoring session and then the animals would start talking to me as I was, we lived in a national park. So I'd go for a run through the bush and there'd be kangaroos and birds talking to me and dogs on the street and cats on the street. And it's like, ah, okay. Now I understand what I can actually do with this because I can talk to wild animals and domestic animals, hear what they need, hear what they've got to say, and then work out where to from there so that's kind of how it all started and I, I just jumped on it I didn't hold back I just both feet in and just started working wow so when when you first started hearing animals did you think that it was all in your mind or did you just know it was real and, and just trusted with it and went with it yeah that that's an excellent question too because I know Sometimes we have these things happen and we sort of look over our shoulder thinking, who is that? Who's who's talking to me? Right. And um, I never didn't, I never questioned it. I trusted immediately. I just knew. I knew it was that bird talking to me. I knew it was that cat talking to me or that dog. And I and I straight away just conversed back. And then they would come back if they wanted to, because they all have their own unique ways of um, speaking to you or not. <laughs> Were you a sensitive child and did you have imaginary friends and and do those sorts of things when you were younger also? I asked mum about that actually because I, I thought I probably would have, but she doesn't remember that and I certainly don't remember having the imaginary friends. But um, I was brought up on a on a wheat and sheep property in the country of Western Australia. And um, so I had animals around me all of the time and I had animals talking to me, you know, the crows, snakes, sheep and, and whatnot. Um, and at that time, and, and I've gone back a little bit with hypnotherapy on this because I wanted to really explore it at my age now in my fifties and, and see how that actually looked back then when I was two, three, four years old and um, and it was it's a little bit different to now. It's just the conversation was like a fluent conversation you'd have with a human. Um, so my intuitive ability of of seeing and hearing and knowing and feeling was really strong back then. It was it was a language that I was very in tune with. Where now I've kind of relearnt that language, so it's a little different now to what it was. But I don't remember being super sensitive because I think I just was 
and that was normal to me. Yes. That makes sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And your parents were open to this. They they validated and when you talked about these experiences. I don't know that I spoke about them. You know, I've had I have had conversations with mum and dad. Dad's not quite um sure exactly what I do. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think he's very intuitive as well. He just may not understand it. And mum certainly is, but um, I don't know that she remembers me having conversations with her, certainly from a missing animals, missing persons, missing things point of view. I was looking for missing things in my nappy and she does remember that because if anything was lost, keys to the tractor or, you know, the the pen, the favourite pen or whatever it was, I was sent to go and find it because I found everything. And um, so, you know, we have these conversations, but talking with animals, not so much. So you talk about the importance of connecting more deeply with an animal to understand its true needs. Um, Could you please elaborate on that or possibly give an example? Yeah, you know, I I think what I find is that we are guessing for the big part because we are not interacting from an intuitive base with our animals. We have to come up with solutions and reasons behind behaviours, illness, injury, all those types of things through observation. And to take a step to the side of that, some of that may actually be intuitive. We just aren't aware of it as well. So it's not pure guessing. But a big part of it, I find, especially from my clients, is they've got no idea what to do. I don't know. I don't know what to do. Um, This is what they look like. And then when I go and talk to that animal, it's not what they're seeing. And, you know, and to keep it really simple, you know, it's things like the dog that has the big sad eyes that you think, oh, my God, my dog's depressed. What's going on here? And really that dog is just adoring their owner. It's just like an adoration, not a depression or a sadness type of thing. So, um, you know, that's that's really interesting. The other thing is you might have a cat, which I have had, I've had this myself, you know, I've, I've observed my cat has gone missing um, or just hidden themselves because cats are very good at that. Looks really kind of not fragile, but fatigued and out of sorts. So to observe her, I'm thinking, oh, I feel like I need to probably take her to a vet. She she must be unwell and she's been like this for a few days. So do I take her to the vet? Now, I can ask her now. Back before I kind of rehoned my skills, I would be taking her to the vet and there's nothing wrong with her. She's hot and she's tired. It's summer, it's humid, and she's just tired and hot. On the flip side of that, she also may not be. But we're guessing. We go back to, I don't know, is she hot and tired or is she sick? What do I do with that? So it's, um, you know, I think the more that we can come back to our intuitive state, which everybody is, it's our natural state of being, we may have more senses that are stronger than other ones. But if we can understand intuition, how it works for us and communicate with our animals, then we can really get to the the full picture. 
And in the meantime, find an animal communicator that can help you if you can't do that. So, yeah. Yes. So if if someone wants to change a behavior in an animal, let's say the animal keeps running across the street right when they open the door and the person should have a leash on them, but (laughs) but they don't. (laughs) Um, But how would one, because I've talked to other animal communicators that they've talked about visualization and almost like you're carrying on a conversation as you're visualizing the, the pattern or the behavior you do not want versus the one that you that you do. Is that the kind of thing that you do or what 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 do you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that is a part of the picture. I think with behavioral issues and animal communication, depending on what the animal communicator's other skills are, because they may be a, an animal behaviorist or a trainer or something like that. But um, animal communication from from my perspective is really about getting the why. Why are you behaving like this? Why do you look like this? Why are you not eating? Why are you doing X, Y, Z? So you get the why and then you have something to go to for trying to find a solution. Now, a part of behavior is definitely communicating them in that silent language, telepathy, through images because animals are telepathic. They are reading the images in your mind. And so we are showing them the behavior that we do or don't want through images. So what we need to do is we need to create words that create the image of the behavior that we want. And a lot of the time, and, you know, I have to give Terry Steuben a plug here because she's written a fantastic book um, about all sorts of different scenarios um, from in-house fighting peeing and pooing outside the kitty litter or under the lounge or, you know, leash aggression, every scenario you can think of, she's written about um, how to use this language. And it's really, really helpful because it can make such a huge difference, just this one piece. And we are brought up as humans in the negative. We say no, don't, stop, can't, shouldn't, wouldn't, and whatever else those negative words are. And, um, And we just can't help it. But it's not so much those words for an animal and how they receive or perceive those. It's what the image is creating in our mind. And if we're talking something like barking, because excessive barking for dogs is a huge problem for their neighbors um, and ourselves, if, if that annoys us. But what we usually do is we we yell at our dog and say, you know, stop barking, no barking, come on, you know, whatever it is. The whole time in our mind, we are showing a barking dog. So what we need to do is we need to think, okay, what is the image I want? I want a dog with its mouth shut and it's quiet. What words can I use to create that image? Shush, close your mouth, be quiet. We need to change our language. We need to make it a habit. So what I get people to do is write down what's the behavior that you have a problem with and that's barking, jumping, you know, running onto the road, all of those things. What are the words you're currently using? What do you generally say, you know, when they the door opens and they've bolted across the street? And then what words can you use? And then while you're driving around the streets, walking through the shopping centre, just practice. Practice those words. Practice, practice, practice. And then that becomes your new language. And that that can certainly help. They see the image of 
using their kitty kitty litter tray or doing their business outside in a certain part of the garden or or wherever. Um, So, yes, I, I agree with that. I definitely think we need to be better at the language we use and then we may need a behaviorist or a, or a trainer you know if we're talking dogs or horses or or even cat behaviorists here you know we need to understand their why then we need to use the right language then we need to have some other things that we can work with because you you're talking about animals that may have come out of a rescue center that have got rejection and abandonment issues um they may have been mistreated you know you've got horses that are rehomed 15 times in 10 years, you know, there's a lot of different things that come back to the emotional side that you need to sort out that can then just roll out into better behavior. So you're, what I hear you saying is that you may need not only an animal communicator, but also a behavioralist if something is, is causing problems. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, having said that, there have been occasions where, I've had a communication with an, a dog, say, um, that is having a behavior problem and they just stop because they've got that off their chest. Once right. animals realize they have someone that can hear them, it's like, oh, right, have you got 10 hours? Because I've got a lot to say. <laughs> so, you know, once they, once they have the conduit, um, then, they, then they have a lot to say. And a lot of it is just being heard. Sometimes it, that's it. It's just being heard. It's not always the case. You can't always negotiate with an animal and try and change the way they think about why they're behaving a certain way. You can try. You can certainly communicate with, you know, this is this behavior is bad and this is how this makes mum feel or dad feel or, you know, whatever it is, and this is a better behavior. Um, and then they will decide what they want to do with that because right. like humans, we say to children or to another a partner or something that's really annoying don't do that but for them they might actually i enjoy doing that or they're, they're just not going to stop i don't really care what you think mm-hmm. i'm going to do it anyway so animals are the same they get to decide what they're going to do with the information right right i also love when you talk about connecting with their true essence and how different personalities shine through also, you've seen many times when a very upbeat, happy animal ends up with an owner who is sad and in need of, up, of uplifting and vice versa. Can you please elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I see often that animals have very similar pre-birth planning as people coming to the planet. So they have their... Um, you know, they have a period of time where they go into, when they transition, they go into what's called camp or what they what they tell me is called camp. And they go to camp and they get allocated certain areas with different animals and they are allowed to swap between these animals to feel what it's like to be a bird, if you're a cat, to be a bird or to be a raccoon or to be, you know, it can be domestic or wild, to be a horse. Um, and they stay in that animal animal suit, if you like, for a period of time, um, no set period of time, it's just whatever that time period is. And then they get to choose what animal they want to come back as, which can often be the same 
a dog comes back as a dog, a dog, a dog, a dog, uh, but but not always. And um, and then they go, once they've decided, they've gone to camp, they've done that, then they come to a period where they kind of integrate things and they do more learnings and whatnot, and they come and have their meeting with their mentors and teachers. And it's very similar to the human path. It's like, okay, so what do you want to teach your person? What is your lesson or what is the growth opportunity for your person that you want to be involved in? All right, that can be it, good. And so where do you want to live? Is it you? Are you with a male or a female? And so it's all location, it's person and that type of thing. So then they come to their person and they show that person through mirroring sometimes you know, because we don't always see how we're viewed to the outside world. We get into our dark state of depression or our anxiety, and we've all heard anxious dog, anxious person, you know, um, or whatever it is, that that emotion that we we hold on to, that anger or aggression. And our animals can show us that by being exactly that back to us. And a lot of the time we don't see that. We just think we don't see ourselves as a part of the picture. We don't see that we're anxious. We kind of, or we do, but we separate it. So we know that we're anxious, we are anxious, but our dog here that's also anxious, we don't see that that may actually be a great tool for us to heal, to, to show us how we are seen out there in the public space. And it's not so much about how we're seen because that actually doesn't matter, but it's about, you know, to to heal to be in a better state so you can live a healthy healthy and, and happy life so they they do show us um that we can have um and i may have mentioned this to you before i'm not sure but we can have the really funny hilariously funny dog or cat or horse that ends up with the depressed human and they are there to help lift their spirits also also to show them that this there is a better way like how good does this feel how high is my vibration and how low is yours um you can feel like me but a lot of the time i find and this may be different for others that these animals are there to help try and lift people out of their funk and to just get them to make better decisions for some people that are really, really depressed and perhaps suicidal, um, it may be their animal that can help turn them around. So they're pretty amazing. Absolutely. So Romy, what if you do have an animal that that you know very well and you've been close to for a long, long time and they seem to become depressed or anxious what what can a person do? I, I go back to finding out the why. Yes. If you can't track it back, you know, there'll be a point where if you, you know, if you got a piece of paper out and, and wrote down some time frames, you may see that they kind of slipped into this sadness around this time, this date or day or whatever it was. What was happening around then? What was happening to you? What was happening for them? Did someone else come into the house that they didn't like mm -hmm. or that mistreated them? Children, I know they're lovely, but children can cause a lot of um, emotional mental health issues for animals. Um, 
they can also not. So I'm not kind of tagging kids, but, you know, we need to, as parents, we need to also be mindful of how our children are treating our animals because a lot of the time, and this also may, you know, this conversation could go forever, but um, it may be that that animal has also targeted that child to help them as well because I have found that, and this is not with an enormous arrangement of people, but with some people that have been sexually abused um, as children, them as children have treated their dogs or cat quite aggressively. So it's like they're taking their anger out on their animal. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm not saying that, you know, if a child hits a dog or a cat or a horse that they're sexually abused um, and that you need to look at that. But, you know, children, if they're bullied at school, you know, that sort of thing can happen as well. Sometimes they take their aggression out on animals and it's worth looking at what's what's happening with my child. Are they, are they happy? Are they okay? And the animal has chosen to kind of work with them in this lifetime to take that, to take illness, to take injury, to take the beating, if you like, as as bad as that sounds. Um, if we can kind of step out of how that looks on a 3D level and just see it more on a spiritual healing and growth um, space, it's actually okay. Our animals are okay with that. Um, and I think I've completely got sidetracked because I can't even remember your question, Marla. What was my question? Oh, just that if an animal and you can... Ignore my animals right now. While they <laughs> but if if they seem to be depressed or anxious, yeah, yeah. So finding out the why, why are they depressed to start with, and or anxious, and um, and then always, and it's the same with us. If you think about it, if we know why we are feeling a certain way or behaving a certain way, then we know where we may be able to go who we can see, what modality might be our greatest chance of healing. Uh, If we don't know the why, then what do we do? I don't know what we do. We kind of just sit with it and hope it just disappears one day. Um, And animals don't sit in depression for too long, I don't find. A lot of the time, in fact, this morning I got an email from someone whose dog went missing two months ago and her other dogs are depressed now what I and so you know she's worried about that. Now what I see with that is those dogs aren't depressed because the other dog has gone missing two months ago. Those dogs are depressed because she is depressed, yeah. and they're they're sort of mirroring her depression, trying to help her, trying to show her um, that you know, come on, it might be time to have a look at this now. It's okay to sit in depression for a while. You just don't want to stay there forever. So, um, yeah, find out the why. And then there's things like um, emotional freedom technique, thought field therapy, that tapping that uh, a lot of people would have heard of. And if you haven't, there's a lot of um, YouTubes and Google pages that you can jump onto for EFT. Emotion code is another one. And a lot of these things are started with humans, but they are so effective for animals to bring that subconscious pattern forward to be released out of the conscious mind and out of the energy field. Acupuncture, Jin Shin Jitsu is, a, is another one. Um, Tellington Tea Touch is, is great. Linda Tellington is amazing. She's, she's still around and doing a lot of work. So I highly recommend people check her out. 
um, because there is a lot of there's a lot of YouTubes on her as well. There's a lot of books that she's written, and all of these things don't cost you anything outside of buying a book or watching, you know, time. Because you can help your animals yourself. You don't need to go to a vet and get medication. You don't need to to go to a vet and and hope that they can figure out what's going on. So there's there are so many things. Flower essences can be really effective um, for so many different things as well. So there are a lot of different things that we can try. And what I've found is that the people that are drawn to me are open to wanting to try something that is less traditional veterinary care or less modern, I should say. So holistic vets, which is my kind of direction when I'm looking after my own animals, a lot of them work with Chinese medicine, uh, acupuncture, homeopathy. Um, There are some that are also chiropractors, and, you know, I highly recommend chiropractics for animals as they're coming into their aging, even just a monthly maintenance thing. Um, so, so, so many different things that are really helpful. Nutrition. I yes. shouldn't have missed that one. Nutrition is huge. That's almost number one. Um, so, yeah, those types of things. Of course, you know, dog training, if that's required. Yes, I reached out to you, as you know about um you i had read somewhere that you said that the raw food is is so much better for for at least we were talking about dogs then and so i went ahead and ordered some of steve's raw food and my dogs just absolutely love it they've never gobbled it up like i've and they just seem so you know their bat stools are great and I just feel really good about doing it. So thank you for that. Yeah. Oh, good on you for doing it because we are, you know, when it comes to food, well, when it comes to anything, we are heavily influenced by A, the vet and B, marketing. And the the pet food industry is a billion dollar industry, you know, and there's the, the XYZs of all of the medicated kibble and dried food you know a lot of these pet food companies are um you know involved in the veterinary university programs so you know unless a vet and there are a lot of them now there are so many holistic vets out there now that that have kind of escaped the cage of that modern vet system and how they see nutrition and that kibble is the only way you know, they, they're killing that food. It is cooked to death and it's got carbohydrates in it. Uh, there's, there is zero nutritional value in kibble, causes more problems than it helps. And that is not how dogs or cats eat in the wild. So we've got to try and bring them back to how they would eat as best as we can, how we can mimic or imitate the way they eat in nature. And just to let my listeners know, when I first heard about raw food, I literally was imagining, you know, like a bloody, a bloody, you know, <laughs> chicken or something like that. <laughs> but but it's not like that at all. It comes, you know, in either kibbles or patties. And I I've done everything with my dogs and nutrition. I've cooked their own food. I've done this. I've done that. But so many times it led to loose bowels and just something was not right. But that even though I, I know when you change, you have to start out slowly, even if it's, you know, really, you know, 
I'm going to say Steve's Raw Food. There's a lot of different brands out there that are wonderful, but they, I've definitely seen seen a change. So, so thank you so much. And I encourage my listeners once again, and it's not, it is a little bit more expensive, but it's not that much more expensive. No, not when you consider that you will have far less, if any, vet bills. Um, You know, I transitioned our dogs probably 20 years ago now, and it was like chalk and cheese. I grew up with kibble. I was was in the country town. Um, They had a lot of meat because we had sheep as well. But, you know, I I grew up with dried food, and that was my knowledge. And canned food, that's how you fed your cats and dogs because that's what mum and dad did and you know I studied nutrition for humans and I didn't kind of follow the path that I need to look at this for animals as well that was my blind spot but of course when it was highlighted it's like oh that's a no-brainer and within 24 hours the mood the the in-house kind of fighting between my two dogs their coat their noses were beautiful like wet leather and their physical energy, it was remarkable. Yeah. And I still, like I'm still amazed by it now, 20 years later, and I would never go back. And, you know, I don't, we've got some organic um, raw food producers over here who, you know, I get their food. It's got all of the good stuff in it. It's got the organs, the bones, the, the and the right quantities. And also one thing that um, to note there is that if you're going to, give your dog chicken raw, then the bones and the organs need to be raw as well. A lot of them do chicken protein meat and they might do beef, bones and organs. And if beef is an allergy, if that's creating an itchiness for your dog or your cat, um, then that can also just, you know, continue that problem. So there's a lot to it, you know, and it can be really overwhelming and it's, you know, you need to, Dr. Judy Morgan, who I really like, she is a holistic vet in the US. She's been around for a long time and she has uh, a book um, which is called Yin and Yang Nutrition for Dogs. And it's really interesting because it brings in that Chinese medicine, which I'm very interested in. Right. You know, if your dog is hot, then they need to have cooling foods. You know, you can't just keep feeding your dog beef or venison or, you know, chicken or whatever. It, they may need to actually have duck or turkey because they're hot, or if they're a cold dog, they'll need heating foods. So, yeah, just education, you know, if people can just learn more, take everything they know away and start again and go, what what feels right to me? Try it and see. What is my cat or dog doing now? Cats are hard to transi- transition um, because they're imprint eaters, so they need to relearn how to eat raw food. But Again, it may be a little bit more expensive, but it's worth it. Mm. Our animals never go to the vet. Imprinted just like just like humans are. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about. I mean, this is something that, of course, we know this, but I love to ask, ask the experts. Um, but the importance of, of giving our animals our time and our, and our attention, and not only that, to talk to them about upcoming events, you know, like what's going to be happening if it's something that you've seen in the past that it's upset them, or like maybe going to the vet or something like that. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yeah. You know, put the devices away, number one, and be present. Mm-hmm. You know, we are we are so busy. We don't even we don't even know who we are ourselves. So how are we going to know who our animals are? We need to get a baseline of what normal is for our animals so we can know when there is a change in behavior or, you know, anything, you know, feeding issues or whatever it is. But we need to be present with them to actually even know that there has been a change because sometimes it's really subtle. Animals don't show pain. Animals that that can be preyed upon, their innate nature, like dogs and cats and things, um, they won't show pain unless it's excruciating. And silent pain is a huge problem with animals. So there are so many reasons why we need to be present. We need to be present to to know who they are and to know the subtle changes as they come about and then know what to do with them. But being present is not just about having Fritz on the lounge with you and patting them and just going, you know, um, good cat, good dog, whatever. We need to put everything away and we need to give our heart attention to them and ask them every day, what can I do for you today? How can I help you today? What do you need from me today? And listen to the answer because, yes, you might think you're making it up, but intuitively they will be answering you with a, an image in your mind, a thought in your head, you know, the the clear audience it's called, the clear hearing looks just like us thinking. So however you want to see it, if you think you've thought something, great, act on that thought, um, that sense of knowing. But be with them, put your stuff away and look at them, give them your attention, ask them what they need from you. Try and hear, you know, practice practice this art of intuition, which you've just shut down, you don't not actually have. And so, you know, this is this is important as well. It's like if we're going away, if we're going on holidays, we need to talk to our animals like we would talk to someone in the house. You know, if you've got a kid or your partner or whoever it is, you don't just walk out and go to the shops. You don't just walk out and go to that festival for three days and not tell them. You know, you don't leave, you might leave a note if, you know, if you've arranged it, they might know where you're going anyway. But we do that with our animals. We just walk out, we go to work, we go to the shop, we go on a holiday somewhere, we drop them at the boarding kennel um, and, you know, have a good time, you know, be good, whatever it is that we say, but we don't actually tell them where we're going. And it's important that we do that. And I'm sure our neighbours think we're a bit quirky here because we're always telling our cat and dog where we're going, how long we're going to be, when we're going to be back, what we're doing there, (laughs) all of those things. And my cat is a classic because she rolls her eyes at me, her internal (laughs) eyes. Yeah, I know, but, you know, I would be away and then you'd want to know where I am. So I'm just telling you. Um, If we go away, you know, they they understand the concept of time passing. And what I've what I've learned is that they understand dark nights as 24-hour period. So if we're going away on holidays for 14 days, let's say 13 nights, um, lead, as soon as we know that, I let my animals know we're going on holidays, we're going to go over to see mum and dad and we're going to do this, we're having Christmas, we're doing whatever, and this is because this is what's happening for me. Um, we're going to be doing this and this is who's looking after you and I share a picture of the person looking after them and I share the feeling of what that person's like and what they're all going to be doing together and that Kenny's going to go on his walks down to the beach and 
you know, all of that sort of thing, how I want them to behave for her. I share them that as well. And then I'll continue to talk to them while I'm away every day, you know, I'll check in, how you're going, how's your house sitter and make sure that that's actually okay. And we'll be back in 13 dark nights. We'll be back in 12 dark nights, 11, 10, you know, every night, every day I'll count it down. We'll be back in one dark night and we're going to go for a walk and we're going to do this and I'm going to play with Rizzy. I'm going to play with your little toy. So it's really important um, for them, especially animals that struggle with separation anxiety. You've got to do everything you can. And if it's a combination of things, tapping, flower essences, communicating with them where you're going and how long how long you're going to be, leaving the music on and all this, this kind of thing, then, you know, we've got to do the, as much as we can for them to feel safe. That makes so much sense to me. I mean, we would do that with each other. We need to do it with our, with our animals. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, signaling just a little bit, I feel that teaching our young children to communicate with animals is so important on so many different levels. And um, I know you've done a little bit of this. And can you talk a little bit about maybe a story of helping a child to communicate with an animal and how that was beneficial to both? Yeah, yeah. I haven't done much with children because they're not my audience mostly and and I don't have children myself, so I have no experience there. But my cousin's um, little girl who is six, uh, fairly recently, earlier this year, she she is just a little animal. She'll be amazing. I don't know what she's going to do, but she'll be a David Attenborough or something. Um, and she just turned six and though I was back in my hometown uh, visiting mum and dad, and she wanted to come and see me because she wanted me to teach her animal communication. <clears throat> Excuse me. What children are already doing is communicating with animals. What we need to do as parents is nurture that and just, you know, get someone to help, you know, make it understandable or work with them or something like that because they're already doing it and they're amazing. And and she, I didn't need to tell her anything. But anyway, she walks in and um she just comes charging in. Can you teach me how to communicate with animals? And I said, sure. And I'm thinking, I don't have kids. I've never taught a kid in my life. I wouldn't have a clue how to do that. How do I make something adult-like? Because I do run animal communication trainings. How do I turn that into child's language? And I had I was like the the duck with the feet going a thousand miles an hour underwater. And I said, Who do you want to talk to? And she said, I want to talk to Rocky. And I said, Well, who's Rocky? Well, she's my chicken. So, all right, okay. Well, what do you want to ask Rocky? What question do you want to ask her? I want to ask her how old she is. I said, all right. And so my cousin, her mum, was talking to dad at the time and they were off busy doing something. So I thought hopefully mum knows how old Rocky is so we we can actually get some validation here, but we'll just go through the process. And she said, I want to talk to a tree as well after we've talked to Rocky. So, okay, we can do that. Anyway, so we sat down and I, I told her to close her eyes and, you know, take some, take a few deep breaths and imagine that Rocky was standing in front of her and, and that she sort of drapes her energy field over Rocky and connects her heart to Rocky's heart and to just like a thought bubble, send over in from your mind to Rocky's mind the question, how old are you? 
And you might get a number in your mind as an image. You might hear the word in your ear uh, as the number, or you might just know. And so she's, you know, she's there, she's got her eyes closed and doing her thing and and she bings her eyes open. And I said, how old is Rocky? And she said, three. She puts her fingers up, three, Rocky's three. I said, okay. So mum was still talking. We went outside and I said, what tree do you want to talk to? And she said, I want to talk to that rose bush down there. And I said, what do you want to ask the rose bush? And she said, I want to ask, I want to ask if he's happy. All right. So you do the same thing. We just went through the same process. And I said, how does that rose bush feel? What do you feel in your heart? Really happy. The rose bush is really happy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I could feel that, you know, myself, because, you know, mum is a green thumb and these plants are just loved to death. So um, that made sense to me. We came back inside and I said to Kylie, Kylie, how old's Rocky? And she said, three. And it's like, uh, I mean, I shouldn't have been blown away, but but I was. Yeah. So yeah. this is the age, you know. It's it's six, and and so she lives in a, near a national park as well, and there are people over the road that have snakes, and they're you know they're pet snakes, even though they're quite poisonous ones. Um, and she said, I talked to the snakes, and I said, What do they say to you? They don't want to be in those cages. They want to be outside. I said to her, yes, that's what I that's what I have had too when I've spoken to snakes. So, you know, she's really onto it. And it's just a case, she's lucky because her mum is aware of it right. and is nurturing it. And she's getting me to help her whenever we catch up. And, you know, I'm back in a couple of weeks and she wants to talk to me again. So, you know, this is the age. Well, just- I think it's not, it is the age, but also it helps children to trust their feelings and intuition and and trust as they get older when they don't feel right about something or a decision or what to do and what what a gift gift to not give them because they already have it right but possibly not to lose it Mm. yeah as they get older yeah, yeah, you're so right. You know, it really I love that because I had a I had a reading for a lady yesterday. It was just, I don't do many people, but I do the occasional one. And she's actually a high school friend of mine and she has a business this a big business decision to make. She had to sign a contract. And I said to her right up front, three days ago, I, I was woken up with it. She she already knows the answer. She doesn't need you. And I'm like, Yeah, I know, but here we are. We've got a session booked. And I said to her, you don't need me. You already know the answer. And she just laughed and she said, I know. She said, but I don't trust. It's a big it's a big dollar decision and it's a big stress decision if it goes wrong. And I don't trust my intuition. And she said, but my gut instinct has got red flags all over it. And I said, it's right. You know, you couldn't be more right if you tried. And she, she said that if if she couldn't get a session with me, she was just going to go with this gut instinct anyway and we you know I guess because we haven't been brought up like this we're starting at 40 50 years old we're starting to really regroup and go back to this intuitive side and like I said at the beginning what I see myself as a two-year-old three-year-old four-year-old doing this work was so much easier than it is now it was so fluid it was a language like English um but, you know, we start later and now it's a, a clunky version of English. 
So I think that's important because we don't trust ourselves, do we? We come to the big decisions and then we need help from someone else. We just want someone else to tell us that it's right. And, yeah, but hopefully as as parents, caregivers become more into, yes, I do think the world is changing in this way when we're talking about trusting feelings and intuition and and for that to ripple down to our children who once again already know it, but need, need to be validated. And so, so important. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, this scene, it, it's a different era. I've always said that it's the five-year-olds today that are going to make great inroads in changing the way for the planet, you know, the natural world as a whole. Um, you know, I can see that that they will be really, you know, making doing some good work, which is good. So we are, we're getting there. Yes, you were getting there. Well, Romy, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I really appreciate it. I just love this topic. And do you have any um, words of wisdom or any last things you'd like to say that, that I didn't ask you? Oh, yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pr- pleasure. Um I guess just reiterating some of it is just really take the time to be present with your animals. It is transformative to your relationship. They're not just companions. They're not just an aside. They are. They have heart and soul and they need us more than ever because we're so much busier than we've ever been. So I really just encourage everyone to, to be present in an engaged way not just to be sitting next to them because that's still busy in our busy mind doing other things, to see them as our teachers to help us grow and to observe them in a way that why are they showing me this? Why are they acting in this way? Angry, sad, depressed, anxious, whatever it might be, the list is, is long. Is this something I need to look at within myself? And when I resolve it within myself, often that will resolve in in your animal as well so it's a win win but you know to really uh, to to know them on a less 3d human level and to look at it a little bit more spiritually um and to learn more you know my my mission i guess now is really to be an animal educator and this is to educate people that animals aren't what we see them to be and this is not for everybody because I know a lot of people that are my clients are on my page. They want to learn because they they love their animals, but loving doesn't equate to the best possible care. So we need to learn more. We need to understand more and we need to make our own decisions and not be persuaded by another friend or a vet. And I'm not saying don't go to a vet. I go to a vet all the time. I just choose to you know, communicate with my animals. So I encourage you all to learn animal communication. I have an online course. If anyone's interested, you can do it in your own time, but learn animal communication and make better decisions, make appropriate decisions. And nutrition has to go in there as well. Feed them better as well. Learn more about that. But education is key. Thank you for having me. It was marvelous to be here. Thank you. And so if people want to learn more about you and and find your courses, how would they do that? Oh, yes, I'd love them to find my courses because um, 
this is just the start to get set you up and get you on path. You can find me at romibuehler.com and Marla will have that spelling because I know that's a little bit <laughs> tricky. That spelling in the in the details there somewhere. Um, I have a book that's going to be published on the 29th of January called Animals Speak. Uh, it has a uh, a bunch of short stories in there that can illustrate different problems through story and the solutions, and it's from the animal's perspective. So you get to really feel how does an animal feel and think about that particular issue and anxiety is one of the issues nutrition and things how to look after cats at the back of that book are 33 things your animals need you to know and there's lists of things not everything because I don't know everything yet and um, or ever but there's a list of things in the back there on what what you need to look out for and different things that you can use for your anxieties, you know, and all of those types of things. So um, keep an eye out for the book. Find me on my website. On my website, you'll find online training and there is a self-paced beginner level animal communication course on there and it's available for you. You've got 12 months to do it. So you've got plenty of time and to do it in your own time. So all of the social medias as well. And what is the name of your book? Animals speak. Animals speak. Great. Well, Romy, thank you so much. And all of that will be in the show notes. And and I really, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and and to keep sharing the story. That's so, so important. Well, thank you and have have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Myla. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you. Thank you.